My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. Todd Duplachan is a chef, restaurateur, entrepreneur, and pretty much all the above. I first met him two weeks ago when I went to Lefty's on the east side of Austin. Under the hot sun, we sat at a picnic table eating even hotter food. It takes a lot to distract me from the heat when it's over 100, but Todd managed to do just that. We split a banh mi po'boy hybrid, spring rolls, slaw, and some of the best onion rings I've ever had. To be honest, he intimidated me at first, and for good reason. Anyone who has the amount of knowledge he possesses deserves to be listened to with your undivided attention, and I hope you do just that. Enjoy. Todd, thank you for being here. Pleasure. I very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to start with an admission today. Uh, I'm a little scared of chefs. <laughs> and I think that I don't think I'm the only person who is like that. I think that my my small little dabbling in the restaurant business when I was younger, I think it just kind of instilled it in me. So if I get a little scared during this interview, I apologize. I will hug it out after. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> the reason I'm scared of chefs is a lot of time they're type A. They're perfectionists. They know what they want and they, they want it quickly. Do you mm-hmm. think that's fair of you? Yeah, the type A part I feel like is not me. I'm very, I'm pretty laid back, but I, I do know what I want and I am, and I want things done the way that I want. Mm-hmm. But I am, and I think a lot of chefs, modern chefs are this way now, is that they're willing to hear other options from people that they respect. Mm-hmm. Um we run our kitchen very collaboratively. Um, so, but it is an intense job. And so usually there's a lot of intensity involved. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, short answers and let's just, let's just move on. Yeah. And not a lot of time for pleasantries and, and feelings. So I get it. Um, I, you know, I try to be nice to people. I think nice in in this world is more just about being professional yeah, and not really, can we cuss on this podcast? Yeah. Not really just fucking people up every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just being intense and under give, relaying that, Hey, this is a professional thing and, and we are intense because it is important as silly as it is that we're just cooking food. Um, but not going out of our way to be mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I think is historically like I've been cooking for a long time. So Historically, it was part of the um, pressure relief to just really bang on people mm-hmm. um, as fun. And now it's maybe I'm older and I feel like the, the industry's changed a lot. That's not the really the way that it's done anymore. Yeah. You are, I guess you could say jack of all trades. I mean, you're a chef, you open these restaurants. How would you actually describe yourself to somebody who just met you? Um, you've opened... Three restaurants in Austin now. Mm-hmm. Well, I let's see. I opened one, two, four now. Four. Because whenever I first moved here, I opened the new restaurant, which is now a, now a new restaurant at the Four Seasons. Um, so that one, I opened my own restaurant. I helped open a barbecue place. Um, and now the two restaurants of the hotels are really five. Yeah. <laughs> um although they are kind of one restaurant kitchen that we service two places out of. But um, 
how I would describe myself to people, I don't know. I would just say that I'm a chef. Do you view yourself as somewhat of an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Um, somebody that that's my, I really love the next thing. Yeah. Right. Whether that's the next dish or the next restaurant or the next concept or just ideas and ideas and ideas. I just, that is the part that really draws me to this. It's almost like engineering. Like Mm -hmm. how can we make this better? How can we make it more interesting? Isn't this a cool idea? We do this constantly. It's like a game in the restaurant of just coming up with random restaurant concepts or random dishes or random ideas. Now we're in the hotel. Like what can we do in a room that would be completely nuts? Yeah. That sort of stuff. That's really fun. So when we first sat, so we sat down for lunch, uh, last week mm-hmm. and one thing that I took away from it was that you are like that. You like having the next thing yeah. and you like change and evolution. Totally. When you talked about changing a menu daily and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we kind of compared it, um, to people who are more perfectionists who might be into barbecue and, and right. cooking the perfect, uh, smoking the perfect brisket and things like that. I think that chefs kind of fall into two categories that way. You're either the person that's always looking for the next thing and you make something and then you kind of throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> and then you make the next thing and throw it away constantly. Or you're the person that is trying to every day perfect one thing and make consistency. And I'm definitely not that. <laughs> Although I do really love those people's, food and the way that they go about things. I just don't have the, whatever that is. Um, so I'm definitely a person that gets bored with stuff really fast. Do you learn from those kind of people? Yeah, because they know I think it. That's kind they of valuable to have those backwards people around. and forwards. If you want to talk to Aaron Franklin about fire, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a three hour conversation about yeah. fire and coals and smoke and whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's a, they've studied one thing so much where I kind of study it to a point where I get to the means to an end Mm -hmm. and then I do it. And then, like I said, I just go, okay, we did that. Now let's move on to the next thing. Do you think that's why you got into what you do now is because you do like that change and you do like the evolution of everything? Yeah. I like, and working with my hands, Yeah, um, being active at work, making things, so yeah, I'm also you said I'm a jack of all trades, building stuff, engineering things, all those things are really fixing things mm-hmm. are really important to me. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um so yeah, it all if if I wasn't doing this, it would be some sort of building or creating of other stuff. Yeah. This works out really well for me because it is all based on what's next and what's new. It's part of that job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get rewarded for that in a certain way. How did you get into food? Was it always something in your life? Did you have parents that were into it and things like that? Yeah, co- eating and cooking is very important in, in my family. I feel like that's everybody, every cook story is, mm-hmm. you know, they learned at their grandmother's hip or whatever. Um, my Mine is no different. Cooking, eating um, was a, it's just a giant part of, our, of my family. My mom's side of the family is very big. And we would have like from Friday till Sunday, it would be just like cooking and eating and like projects of some sort, like working on the car that's broken or rebuilding this thing or whatever it was. And it was always like a big family affair, giant, giant meals. 
everybody cooks. So the men kind of specialize in certain cooking things and the ladies do other stuff, but nobody in our family doesn't cook. Everybody cooks. Mm -hmm. And then on my dad's side, he also cooked. We grew a lot of vegetables and grew animals and stuff like that. Even though we lived in the suburbs, which is, uh, do you have like a chicken coop in the backyard? Uh, no, chickens would have been too normal. We had like rabbits and pigeons and turtles and all kind of just nuts stuff. Uh, and then a giant vegetable garden. And we would cook a lot too, but my dad, since he was single, we would go out to restaurants a lot. Yeah. So it was a lot of just varying types of restaurants, a lot of ethnic food, um, a lot of high end restaurants, which was weird. Um, just because it would be like me and my dad. And we'd be eating, you know, like $300 sushi meal <laughs> on a Wednesday night. I don't, it was, he was, my dad's very adventurous food wise. So growing up with that, food was always really important. I never thought I would do this. I got a job at uh, Solly's Barbecue, which was a kind of a Dallas institution when I was 16. And m- my friend's family, own Sally's barbecue Mm -hmm. and a lot of the kids that were the kids that we all hung out with um, worked there, but they all worked the register because it was like the easy no brainer job. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. I was like, I don't want to work the register. It seems like it's going to be boring. So it is boring as someone who's worked a register before. Yeah. I'm, but subsequently I don't know how to work a register. That's good. So (laughs) stay away. But I was like, I want to cook. So they were like, Oh, okay. So I came in and prepped and did barbecue stuff during the day. And then I was like the, work the block or it was the meat cutter at night. Um, and it, I liked it. It was fine. I still didn't think that's what I was going to do, but then it turned into, I got paid a little bit more than my friends did because they were working the register, which, yeah. you know, anybody can do. Um, or they worked in retail, which didn't have any skills Worked since I had like a skill, let's call it. Although I wasn't all that skilled at that point, <laughs> I could make like 75 cents more an hour. So then I was like, well, I'm just going to cook then because I'm making making this great bank over here for 425 or whatever it was. Um, so I just kind of kept with it for a while. And then before I knew it, I, that's what I was doing. And I wasn't going to make it in college. So I was like, maybe I'll just do this. Mm-hmm. So here I am. So is that when you moved to New York City? No, I moved to... Um, that at that point when I made that decision to go to culinary school, I lived in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. And then I moved to Denver to go to culinary school. And then the idea at that point was I was going to do sushi because I had grown up really obsessed with sushi and Japanese culture because my father, my father's an accountant and he had a, a Japanese client that we spent a lot of time with uh, the whole company, but we spent a lot of kind of, professional and personal time with them. And as a kid growing up in the eighties, it was really eye opening, especially in Dallas Yeah, to see that. And so I was kind of obsessed with all that sort of stuff. So I apprenticed at a sushi bar, ended up doing sushi for five years yeah. um, before moving on to just doing the regular restaurant business stuff. Was there a reason you moved on to doing the regular stuff or? Yeah. My sushi chef told me that uh, uh, no one would ever buy sushi from a white guy. They just wouldn't take you seriously? They wouldn't take you seriously. Um, he actually <laughs> said, well, maybe if you were like Taiwanese or like maybe even a Mexican guy, you could pull it off. But there's no way that anybody's ever going to buy sushi from a white person because they just won't believe that it's going to be any good. 
And unfortunately, I listened to him because I was like, oh, you're probably right. Because it's just not, obviously not true. But, um, but yeah, so then I moved on and, and started my, whatever you want to call it, uh, hotline career. And, uh, yeah, been doing that ever since. My wife also cooks. That's a plus. Said the ghost voice from the corner. <laughs> uh, let's talk about New York really quick because uh, from from my research, that's where you kind of fell in love with the uh, Indian side of cooking. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really know. I had grew, grown up in, a, in North Dallas in a kind of an Indian, Asian neighborhood where the big Indian population. So there was lots of Indian restaurants, lots of Asian restaurants. So we ate at, the, at those kinds of restaurants a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was pretty, still pretty superficial, my knowledge of Indian food. Um, then I was in New York, I was trying to get a job at, uh, Cafe Gray, which was like the hot restaurant to get a job at that point. Um, and they were full. And so they said, well, you should go check out this place, Tabla. And I was like, Tabla. And of course, coming from Texas, I'm like, so it's like a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> um, cause I, I didn't know it. So I went there and learned that it was an Indian restaurant and learned what a tabla was and then ended up getting a job there and working for Floyd Cardoz, who's an Indian chef that has had a, a number of restaurants in New York and now has restaurants in India and stuff like that. And it really opened my eyes to spices and how to use them and what an advantage they are and something that we should all be using and or not as chefs. And then he, I had worked there for probably um, six months or a year before I found out that he's actually, his family's actually from Goa. He grew up in Mumbai, but his family's from Goa. He would go back there every summer and spend time with his grandma and stuff like that. And I really started learning about Goan food or about Goa uh, and how it's different and about India in general and how it was formed and so I really kind of started taking these deep dives and I really fell in love with that idea mm-hmm. of food and really started thinking a lot about food history and how interesting things are and colonialism and, and all this weird stuff. Um, and so since then, I've just kind of, it's been in the back of my mind kind of percolating. Yeah. At the restaurant that Jess and I opened at Lenoir, there's tons of Indian influence. There's tons of spice and stuff. Yeah. And people don't really, I mean, there's certain things that really nod to that, but other things people are like, wow, there's just so much depth of flavor and layers in this. And it's because of using spices and things like that. Yeah. And so with this restaurant, like I said, it's been percolating in the back of my mind for a while. And I decided like this was a good opportunity to do it. Um, so I have a very baseline knowledge of Indian food. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize until I talked to you that there was a difference between like Indian food, going food. Well, so India is an interesting place, mm-hmm. right? So it's like a, a lot of places that you go to, so I had the same epiphany with Spain. You go to Spain and it's like, oh, Spanish food, like paella and Spanish people are Spanish and that's all there is, yeah. right? Because I have the same deal. I have a well, very, And very those baseline. stereotypes are perpetuated when you go to much any restaurant in the sure. United States it's all, all the, the time. same. It's like, right? oh, let's go get Indian food. You know right. generally what you're going to be looking at. You're going to get chicken tikka masala and, and biryani and all this other stuff. And But once you go to a place or start learning about it, then 
you start understanding like, oh, especially India. So let's just take India, for instance. It was, you know, um, 50 different, 100 different countries and sects and languages and all these different things that due to the colonialism and the British and all this other stuff, they grouped all those people together and said, now you're Indian. Mm-hmm. You're all Indians, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's not worry about all these different cultures and stuff. We'll separate you into states and things like that. Um, so all these different cultures... They, they've remained all the different cultures to a certain extent in India. Um, but whenever things get imported from a specific place, so a lot of the the people that originally came here from India were from northern India, Punjab and, and, and places like that. So the style of food that you get is from that area. Mm-hmm. So whenever people think of Indian food as like heavy cream and butter, and vegetarian and things like that. It comes from kind of very specific places. It's like the first people to plant their flag yeah. here and say, this is Indian food. Uh-huh. But then they would also take things from other places like Vindaloo. Like, so you would still see Vindaloo on a menu, but it would be their interpretation of what Vindaloo was like. Yeah. Um, whereas then you go to India and Vindaloo is actually from Goa and then you have it there and you realize, oh, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. So in India, you have all these hundreds of different styles of things because of the way that history has unfolded with those particular regions. Goa is its own interesting thing where the Portuguese went there um, and essentially took it over and made it a colony for 500 years. Mm -hmm. And it became part of Portugal. If you lived there, you were Portuguese. They were really pushing religion and Catholicism. And then, but also, you know, the, pushing meat eating and um, this is the proper way to make bread or this is the way to make bread because before that they weren't really making things like breads. So you end up with these interesting things of, you know, the two, two things that should have never come together culture wise because of their proximity to each other are now forced together. Yeah. And then over hundreds of years, it evolves into this something that's completely different that you're not going to find anywhere else in the world because it's not naturally going to happen. And that's what is interesting about not only there, but a bunch of places like Portuguese and the British and the Spanish went around the world and essentially conquered the world at at a specific time and then imposed their culture on these places that then turned into a different culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And those things I feel like are fascinating. Yeah. Especially like the stuff with the Portuguese. You think of Indian food, you think of spice, of course which is from there, which is why the Portuguese went there. But then you also think of chilies and potatoes and tomatoes and a bunch of stuff that they didn't have before the Portuguese got there. So the Portuguese came to America and got those things and then spread them around the world and thus created all the new world food cultures. So Italian food without tomatoes and chilies and Indian food and Asian. So it's, it's a really an interesting food paradox that I've, being somebody that always wants the next thing, yeah, uh, I'm not really beholden to uh, things that are what people would call legitimate or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like authentic. This is authentic because to me that's it's kind of ridiculous. You're, you're trying to f- like freeze an amber or something. Like, yeah. Well, this is authentic. Well, what does that mean? If yeah. Things are compl- constantly changing. Does that mean it's authentic Indian food pre-colonialism or post or? Yeah from July 7th or July 15th, like it doesn't make any sense to me. Why, yeah. why does it have to be exactly that? Not to mention authentic food 
from somewhere else in another part of the world. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to try to make authentic Indian food in Austin. Well, that makes no sense because the food that they starting with in India is completely different than the food that we have. The culture, the way they grow things, the way they store things, the way they hold things, everything's different. Yeah. You can take inspiration from those things, which is what we do, but I'm not going to try and say this is authentic Goan or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so now you're opening Vixen's Wedding mm-hmm. uh, on the east side in Austin. Uh, it's a going Portuguese restaurant. Inspired restaurant. Okay. Yes. Uh, where does the por- Portuguese come in for people that might not understand? Like well, me. so the Portuguese came and, and took the place over. And with them, they brought bread. They brought pork. They brought um, a lot of European architecture and religion. Mm-hmm. Um and so fun, fundamentally changed the culture of that area. Um, and so what you're left with there, whenever, whenever you go to Goa, it's still India. And you can still very much feel the, that, that Indian thing, that Indian feel to the, the food, very spicy, very spiced. But unlike other parts of India, you see a lot more meat. Mm-hmm. Um, most of India, or a lot of India, um, you won't see any meat, but especially no beef um in other parts of the you can't have it's illegal and things like that there you see beef on a lot of menus Mm -hmm. so culturally it's it's very different but that's because of the portuguese influence so what we're doing is really riffing on that so portugal iberian peninsula very specific things kind of come to mind um and then india very specific things come to mind you start putting those two things together and then you have roughly going food. So we're taking inspiration from both places. It's mm-hmm. interesting because it's like in, in the Iberian Peninsula in Portugal, you have chorizo, which mm-hmm. is something that's people I think recognizes as an Iberian thing. And they have the same thing in Goa. Um, but it's, but it's very, it's, it's the same, but different. Yeah. So the spices are kicked way up. Things in Goa are very um, acidic very like from citrus, but also use a lot of vinegar in their food. So a classic chorizo will have vinegar in it and spices and chilies. Um, but it, everything that from the go and chorizo is that kind of times three or times four. Yeah. So it's way more spicy. It's way more acidic. It's actually way more porky because the pork there is very strong as well. So that's the fun for me is really, I love punchy, punchy food. And so it's being able to cook European food, but also just lay it on. Yeah. Lots of chilies, lots of spice, lots of depth of flavor. It makes the fun, makes the food really fun. So you told me something at lunch that, I mean, surprised me. I think I had heard something to this effect before, but it was about hot weather food. Mm-hmm. And when I, when it's hot outside, I want like the coldest, most bland food of all time because <laughs> I'm scared of sweating. Right. But you told me that the best hot weather food is actually food that makes you sweat. Well, if you think about things that are from hot places, right? Yeah. So like the food from North Africa, the food from Southeast Asia, the food from India, it's spicy. Mm-hmm. It's hot food. Partially because that's what grows there, right? Yeah. So chilies grow really well there, citrus, different things like that. Um, but also that's your natural air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of eat hot food, spicy food, drink hot tea, your body's like, oh, it's hot. And it's it, now it's even more hot. Then you start sweating a little bit more. Yeah. So then that's your body's natural way of cooling itself off. So then you start to sweat 
and then you get cooler. Yeah. Is the idea now with air conditioning and stuff, who knows, but, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, the, that's historically why, you know, not historically why people were eating that food because they were eating that food. Cause yeah. that's what grew there. Yeah. Um, but with our original restaurant, Lenoir, I really started, I moved, I had moved back to Texas and I was really excited to move back to Texas because barbecue Mexican food. And I started eating barbecue and Mexican food and being like, how does anybody eat barbecue Mexican yeah. food? It's way too heavy. And it's, I totally agree. And <laughs> for, you know, you don't want to eat a bunch of heavy food and then walk outside when you're in the air conditioning. It's fine. You walk outside, it's 110 degrees at nine o'clock at night. And you're like, man, I think I made a bad decision just then. When I moved here, I imagined myself eating all the barbecue that Austin had to offer. Yeah. And I eat it once every couple months because it weighs me down. And yeah. if it's hot outside, it's the last thing I want to crave. Yeah. The times when I eat it the most is when it's like 50 degrees outside and I can sit outside with like a pullover eating it out there. Yeah. But when it's 100 and degrees like it is today, there's no way I'm going near it. Right. And so I started mulling that around. And then this is basically how we eat at our house. So mm-hmm. that's the other part of it is how Lenoir, Lenoir's food is and Vixen's food is. That's the food that we eat. That's yeah. the food. That's how I like to cook at my house. And so that's that's my food style. Yeah. And so with Lenoir, I really try to take a deep dive and create this hot weather food idea of if you start looking at all these different places around the world that are hot, you start seeing that the ingredients, you take out one and you add another, they start to look very similar, mm-hmm. right? So lots of citrus, lots of chilies, not a lot of cream and butter because cows miraculously do not love the heat because they're big animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, the food kind of formula starts to look very similar and then you start to go, oh, this is the difference between curries and, and moles and the difference between you know, all these different food cultures and fermented, fermented foods and things like that. So we started just taking the same, in the same way, taking inspiration from one thing or here and there and putting together things that I knew would work before we made them, but how can we make them interesting Mm -hmm. and fun? And so that was the formula for Lenoir, which has, has worked pretty well. And with Vixens, what I wanted to do was just because of what we did at Lenoir People were like, well, what is it though? And I'm like, well, it's hot weather food. And then you have to spend 20 minutes explaining that. And I, it it's fun, but it's almost, it's too loose to yeah. a certain extent. I wanted to do something that was more focused though. You could be like, it's going food. And this is the elevator pitch. And from our perspective, as far as the chefs go, it's like, is it within what we're doing? Yeah. Is it, just to make it more focused. Does it fit these criteria? If it doesn't, then no, we'll put it on the Lenoir menu. But if it it needs to, it needs to have more focus and be a little bit more telling of the story. Yeah. So the the story is a, a little bit more important at Vixens than it is at Lenoir. Lenoir, okay. we're just kind of taking whatever. Our, it also has to do with our farmers. So when I moved here, we had a bunch of farmers that were trying to grow for chefs, and chefs were come moving here from New York and saying, "Well, what about why don't you grow this? Or why don't you grow that?" Well, it's really hard to grow things in Central Texas because the heat and the, mm. the changes and heat and cold and it's going to rain and sleet and snow all in the same day and whatever. So they were having a lot of trouble growing things. And so I started thinking about, well, what should we be growing here? Not what do we want to grow here, but what should we be growing here? Because somebody, like people have lived here for thousands of years. They had to be growing something. Yeah. So then I started thinking about this 
hot weather food idea. So then it was like, well, let's give them, let's let them grow things that are easier for them to grow. And then we'll just take it and make it into food. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of what we started with at Lenoir and have morphed into with this. I mean, India, South India is more tropical than it is here, but we do a great job of growing a lot of the same produce that they would be using there. Yeah. So is there one particular ingredient or dish at Vixen's wedding that you're excited to bring to Austin that people probably haven't seen before? I don't know if people have seen it or not, but I'm very proud of the kafril that we're making <laughs> right now. Uh, kafril is another one of these dishes that was brought by the Portuguese. It's not necessarily even a Portuguese dish. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from Africa, but they went to Africa, picked this thing up, and then brought it to Goa. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find it on almost every menu that you see there, and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reinterpreted it a little bit but it's one of those that I didn't feel like I don't want to go way off the reservation with this. I kind of want it to be exactly what it is, the kafril part of it. And then we can kind of mess around with the additional garnish. And that's what we did. So the kafril sauce is like, I'm, I eat it and I'm instantly transported back to Goa, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And then the rest of the dish is us being kind of weird and fun. We're, you know, changing the protein and stuff like that. But that particular part is, is right. So I'm proud of that. Um, Vindaloo. I think people have had Vindaloo a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different times, but ours is the traditional, the sauce once again is like made in a very traditional way. Um, and then we, the way we present it is a little different, but that's another one where I try it and I'm like, this is right. This Mm -hmm. is, I'm transported. Now the rest of it is, uh, li- artistic license, but the starting point is is something that you would find in Goa right now if you yeah. were to be eating there. So those I'm happy with. Then the, the other things that are pretty much non-traditional that we just kind of made up on the fly, there's some really, th- the ceviche that we're making there now is delicious. I think everything's delicious. Like I said, it's the food that I want to eat. Yeah, yeah. So, so naturally I'm, you're going to gravitate to I got it. no problems with anything that we're doing right now. It's all really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy it. How important to you is it to have those local ingredients from neighboring farmers and it's what like we that? base everything on. Mm-hmm. It's what, why we're doing what we're doing. Whenever I was at Tabla in New York, we, we used all, we used as much farmers as we could. We were getting in all these great, I mean, the, the produce in, in New York is amazing, but it really didn't hit home with me about, hot weather food and direct from farmers until I got back here. I was like, this restaurant makes a hell of a lot more sense in Austin, Texas than it does in New York because it's not hot there. Yeah. Right. It's got, it has four seasons and it's cold as hell in the winter time. So it was a little bit harder for the farmers to, to deal with it. Like the peppers that we get here, the variety of chilies and stuff like that is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're really good and exciting to work with. So completely dovetails into whatever menu we're going to come up with. So yeah, it's, it, everything starts and ends with, with the farmers Mm -hmm. for, for us at, at both our, at all of our restaurants. So it's very important. Alex took me into Vixen's wedding uh, after lunch the other day and I just kind of looked around a little bit and it was all very cool and well done. Um, She showed me the lanterns that were made Mm -hmm. for the restaurant. Is it, is it important for you to incorporate 
other artists or local people's uh, creations into your restaurants? Do you think it gives it some kind of an identity that you can't get elsewhere? Yeah, of course. I'm, I like makers. I like creative people. I like being around them. And that goes for any sort of creative person. If you're making something, I want to I want to be there with you. I want to do it. I want to give you ideas. I want to take your ideas. So the designer that we work with, Chris McRae, he worked on our original, he worked on Lenoir. We made a bunch of the stuff. We worked with almost exclusively Austin makers. And in this restaurant, we did the same. And it's, it's awesome to come, to bring an idea to somebody like Chris. And then he takes it and goes, okay, this is my interpretation of your idea. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, that's cool. I like these things. These things, maybe not. And then he takes it to a maker of some sort and says, this is the idea that we came up with. What do you have to add to it? And then they'll take it and morph it into the next thing. So I think it turned out perfect. It's so awesome. I want it to <laughs> you to go in and you to look at it and say, this is an interesting, cool, fun space in the in very specific ways, like the plants. There's a there's an overall idea and aesthetic that we started with that was just a general idea of like it's a a, a building that had been there that had kind of fallen into disrepair and then been rebuilt, but where the, where plants were trying to take it back over to a certain extent, very green and a, and a lot of different textures. Um, but I didn't want it to scream like, Oh, this is an Indian restaurant, mm-hmm. like sitar music and, you know, be whatever, whatever an Indian restaurant, whatever they're, especially an American Indian restaurant, whatever people have in their minds that that is, I didn't want that. I wanted it to be have a nod to that, but not really be trying to take over someone's culture and, and adopt it as yeah. my own and be like, I know about whatever it is. Because just like you said, you're not an expert in whatever it is. Uh, neither am I, mm-hmm. right? I'm inspired by this place, but I'm not a, I'm not even an expert in going stuff. Not even I'm not even an expert in food. <laughs> Right. And I've been doing it my entire life. So I don't want to people to think like, oh, we're going to come in here and it's going to scream India. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want it to scream. This is a fun place like that feels good. Yeah. And if you really look around, you can go, oh, OK, I kind of get it. But you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be like pounding it in like this is the kind of stuff you could just come there, eat the food and be like. That was good. That was good and interesting. Right. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm leaving. Yeah. So um, that part's really important to me personally, just because I don't, I'm kind of finished with like the fine dining, overly thought, overly produced and part of dining. I just want to eat, you know, I yeah. just want to go in and have good food and not be beat over the head with like, the chef's inspiration for this and 15 different steps for why, how and why you have to eat it and all this other stuff. I think that we're at a point where you can go it to any good restaurant and understand that the sourcing is good Yeah, and understand that the food will be made well in fun and inspiration. And there is a story behind it if you want to hear it, but you don't have to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to like give everybody the, the Disneyland tour we just need to be like, hey, this food is good. If you want to know why, what the, the lineage is with it, we'll tell you. Mm-hmm. But if not, come in and have a good time. Yeah. 
What does Vixen's Wedding mean? It's a um, a fable, basically, but the the actual word is a nautical term for a sunny rain shower. So when it's raining, when the sun's out. Mm-hmm. So whenever I grew up in Texas, we always would say that the, that the devil's beating his wife. That's mm-hmm. what my mom would always say. I had never heard that until moving to Texas. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But that doesn't make a good restaurant name. Yeah. I don't so, think that might steer some people away. Right. So it's, um, I thought it would, right. Instantly when, um, my wife brought it to me as a potential name, I was like, I like it. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, doesn't mean anything to me right off the bat. But then once you, you can once again, take a deep dive on what it means. Yeah. Which is another one of those things where, you know, we have to get, give everything multiple layers of meaning, but at this, at a certain point, it's just cool. It's a cool name and I like it, but the, the actual fable is a, a wolf wants to marry, I'm sorry, a fox wants to marry a wolf. It's an, an unnatural marriage. So, um, all of the animal kingdom kind of needs to preside over it and give uh, give their blessing, which they do. And the king of the animal kingdom, the, the lion, is asking them, asking the the vixen if she wants it to be raining, uh, which is good luck on her wedding day, or sunny. And she says that she wants both. And so it becomes a vixen's wedding as far as the sunny rain shower part goes. But if you want to take that deep dive of the two things that are coming together that shouldn't necessarily come together with like the Portuguese and the Indian, um, the unnatural marriage and all these different things. Like there's a lot to, to continue down that road if you want to hear it. When you're constantly on the go, grinding away at the office or hanging out with friends, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. That's why I love getting a new box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. These guys are out scouting for quality and unique products to send in each box. Now you can experience it too at boxofawesome.com. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that will go best with your style. Whether you're in search for the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet setting in style, Bespoke Post improves your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to change colors and sizes or add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling it that month, you can simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off of your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter code SCARIES at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code SCARIES for 20% off of your first box. Bespoke Post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. (laughs) Uh, What are your interests outside of restaurants? I know that you sharpen knives, you hunt and fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you do when you're trying to get away from it? Um, well, first of all, there's no getting away from it. Yeah, <laughs> it's always there. But um, if I, yeah, hunting and fishing um, are are definitely. I've been doing a lot more fishing than hunting because hunting takes a lot more time and planning. Mm-hmm. Fishing, you can just kind of go do if you have an extra hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. So I've been trying to get out and go fishing, which I enjoy a lot. I'm trying to teach my kids how to fish. I have two boys that um, I would really love if 
they loved it. Um, I think fishing's hard to get young people into these days. I, the, if you're catching fish, it's not hard at all. Yeah, if you're if you're yeah. just fishing, that can be hard, especially it's a, when it's 110 degrees outside and stuff like that. They're very much into catching the fish and looking at the fish and seeing them and eating the fish. Sometimes I was kind of. I was gonna say, do you cook with the? Yeah, I mean, depends on where we catch it from, mm-hmm. but most of the time we're fishing uh, just in downtown Austin, so we're just fishing to catch stuff. And, yeah, and get go through the the motions of doing it and be like, Oh, look at this cool fish that we caught. Look at that cool fish. Um, but we have in the past. Yes, definitely. Um, if they're good waters eating the fish, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that. I like to build stuff a lot. I got a, a project on the back burner right now. The, um, they make, they're trying to start making buildings out of wood again and they're making, I'm, I'm blanking on what they call it, but basically it's, they stack up, like two by sixes and then cross it at a 90 degrees and laminate it cross laminated panels is what they call it. And then do that for three or four layers and essentially make a solid wood wall that is constructed like almost like carbon fiber where it's crossed. Um, and then they use that. Then you can cut out windows and cut out doors on giant like CNC machines to make houses out of it or they're making skyscrapers and all Mm -hmm. these crazy things out of them. So because I'm also like somebody that loves reusing stuff and junk and that kind of stuff, I was like, I came up with this idea of, I want to take old fence pickets that people are constantly, you know, you build a new fence, you just take the other stuff and throw it out on the curb and somebody comes and picks it up and everybody wants to make like I I don't know, fake barn wood out of it. I thought it'd be cool to, take that and make cross laminated panels out of it and then make my boys want a like a clubhouse mm-hmm. in the backyard. So I'm trying to take those and make the panels of the clubhouse out of it and then suspend the whole thing, blah, 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 a bunch of other stuff. So I like that kind of stuff. I like yeah. building things. I like engineering. I like uh, concepts, design, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So as soon as this restaurant calms down, I might, fall I'm gonna hopefully build that I did a I did a sample of it a couple of months back and it worked <laughs> luckily it sounds a lot more relaxing to build something like that in the fall than it does in the middle of summer here yeah I mean <laughs> they you know the heat's the heat I'm I I don't mind it I'm a I'm just a, a person that does well I do a lot better in the in the heat than I do in the cold yeah um and Texas does not really get cold but even as cold as it gets here is like kind of in, in February, I'm like, all right, I'm ready for the summer again. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Yeah. My, my, in terms of food, my tolerance for spice has gone way up since moving to Texas. Like yeah. it's unbelievable how much it's changed. That was an interesting thing about going to India and eating the food there because Indian food in the United States is hot. Yeah. You know, you go to a lot of Indian restaurants and they're basically like, how hot do you want it? What scale do you want? Right. Do you want it over one or do you want it on a five? And if you get a five, then we're not refunding your money mm-hmm. because you it will be inedibly hot. Yeah. Um, and I, so I went to India on this just, you know, a cook's tour. So it's like eating 10 meals a day. And I was like, I s- sat down to my first thing and I was like, okay, here we go. Like this is going to be hot as hell. <laughs> and I said, this is how it's going to be for the next two and a half weeks. And I ate it and I was like, oh, that wasn't that spicy at all. And then I ate the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I was kind of astounded by the food's way spicier in Austin, Texas than it is in Mumbai. Yeah. Um, 
and and certainly then it is in, and then they were the people in Mumbai were like well I'll wait till you go to Goa I mean they like spicy food down there and I was like okay all right so I went to Goa and I was like eh, it's spicy <laughs> but it's not spicy like food in Texas oh is. yeah you're not getting random seeds that you don't know what they're from that are just scorching you yeah and I mean it was it was there were some things like the street food was more hot than anything else and if you wanted things to be hot there was always you know there was always the ability to make it hotter mm-hmm. which I enjoyed yeah but I was expecting to have to you know beg for mercy yeah uh, at a certain point but uh, yeah I never did <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a few questions now that I'd like to ask every guest round. yeah I'm gonna I've tailored it a little to you because you have a different schedule and lifestyle than other like some people have i think uh chefs and people in the restaurant industry they have different hours and different Mm -hmm. mindsets so i'm not going to ask you what your ideal sunday would be but what's an ideal day off for you an ideal day off would be getting to spend some if i could go fishing with my boys Mm -hmm. um in the morning that would be great um fishing in the morning pool in the afternoon with the whole family um, eating some, some good food, like tacos in the afternoon in between fishing and the pool. And then, you know, a good, a really good pizza and bottle of wine for dinner. And that's it. Going to bed by like 10 o'clock. Love it. That would be killer. Love it. <laughs> that would be really good. Yeah. Those are good days. Maybe throw building something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, working on my truck. I got an old truck that, you know, takes constant maintenance. What kind of truck? It's a 78 Ford F100, uh, baby blue and white. Love it. It's beautiful. It's an old farm truck. Yeah. That's got like handmade brush guard and headache rack on it. And it's super patinaed and all the right ways. It's a beautiful truck. It really is. I'm like, <laughs> uh, Never, if I can never get rid of it, I will, I will hold on to it forever. My family has roots in Detroit and Ford Mm -hmm. and things like that. So whenever those vintage cars come up, I kind of get a little intrigued. I'm not much of a car guy. I'm pretty bad with cars, admittedly, but I do like the historical aspect of that stuff. I love cars. I love, I want to keep my truck, but I also want to get like a early seventies muscle car. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the same. Like I'm, I am. I have an opinion about old cars and that is I'm not somebody that wants to restore an old car and make it pristine. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's kind of like the food thing. I enjoy people that do that. I think that's awesome, but I'm not the person that's going to do that. Yeah. I'm not the person that wants to have something that's so precious that I can't enjoy it. Yeah. So my truck is beat up and patinaed and it's going to stay that way. And I love every <laughs> bit of it and it's a motor and a transmission. It doesn't have a heater doesn't have an air conditioner it doesn't have a radio and that is exactly how i want it put the windows down you put the windows down <laughs> and i don't need to listen to music yeah. i can listen to the truck yeah and yeah i want like a late 60s early 70s muscle car that is the same yeah with a motor and a transmission and that's it i love it the windows don't have to roll down <laughs> they'll just stay down yeah. i mean it's a it's basically growing up with the dukes of hazard i just want a really beat up version of the General Lee mm-hmm. that I can jump over rivers. I mean, people do that, right? Yeah. Just t- you can make do, it yeah. airborne all the time. <laughs> Just like driving around in the dirt or whatever it is I'm going to do. If I opened your refrigerator right now, what would I see in it? 
you'd see a lot of food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fruit. We go through a lot of fruit at our house. Um, you would see the 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 things I think that people would find interesting is lots of pickles, lots of mustard, like probably four or five different types of mustard, four or five different types of pickles, lots of homemade pickles and homemade food, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but just we go through a ton. We got two boys and me and my wife, and there's a there's this thing out there that chefs don't cook at home, right? Everybody's like, oh, chefs don't cook at home because they cook so much at work they don't want to come home and cook. Yeah. And I think that, that might be true for some chefs, but it's definitely not true for a lot of chefs, and it's mm-hmm. definitely not true for us. We cook at home all the time. Yeah. We cook breakfast every day. My wife cooks dinner, or I cook dinner if I'm ever home. Um, we We do eat out also because we enjoy that, but – it's not a whole lot of just picking up food, fast food kind of stuff. We That's the part of our lives that we don't really share with a lot of other people because mm-hmm. we don't eat a lot of fast food. Yeah. We cook at home or we go out to like our friends' restaurants. Yeah. Right. That's the way to do it. Sure. I, I, this this question is not on the list, but I love pickles. What, what are you pickling these days? Well, we pickle whatever's at the market, right? Yeah. So right now, lots of peppers, lots of cucumbers. The problem with us is we pickle stuff and we eat them so fast that it's just like over. I, right? I love pickles. And yeah. like, it's like, it's like the one thing that I don't think I could ever get tired of. It's yeah. just constant. I need to get into pickling because I just. Pickling, uh, for me, there's certain weird things that I can just make a meal out of. Mm-hmm. Rice. I could just eat rice for a meal. Yeah. I just love rice, dude. It is so good. And there's so many different types of rice out there. And you can just put like a little bit of seasoning on it. It's, I just, I love it. Yeah. I want some rice right now <laughs> and, and pickles. I could just eat a meal. It's, of pickles. It's, yeah. It's, it's something that I could just never so get good. tired of. And I don't understand it. I, I always think that everyone, in, everyone has something in their life that they could eat endlessly and out eat all their friends and all their acquaintances. And it's yeah. not even a question. And for me, it's anything pickled. Yeah. Pickles, mustard, rice. Oh, those are like essential things for me. Yeah. Gotta have them. This, this answer might be similar to what you do on your ideal day off, but, uh, after like a long day's work, what are your, what relaxes you? <laughs> what do you do when you get home? Um, so whenever I get home, it's usually pretty late mm-hmm. and I'm usually pretty dirty. Yeah. Um, and I'm usually hungry because that's the other thing that people is kind of a misconception is that. People are always like, oh, if I was a chef, I'd weigh 400 pounds. Well, you don't eat when you're working. Yeah. You might snack on a couple of things, but it's not, you're not just sitting there tasting food all day. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a grind. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of fast paced intensity and being around all that food and with your kind of adrenaline going a lot of the time, you're not really hungry. Yeah. Um, and then you get out and then you, on your drive home, you go, oh man, I'm going to eat anything today. I'm really hungry. <laughs> Um, so usually I get home and I'll make myself a little something to eat. And if there's like a glass of wine there, then I'll have a glass of wine. And my, um, kind of nightly routine is pretty lame. Uh, so people are always like, Oh, have you seen the new, whatever chef cooking shows? Yeah. Whatever. And I don't really watch those shows. In fact, I don't watch those shows. Because not that I don't like them and think that they're amazing. Like I've seen the like the chef's table stuff is awesome. Um, but you, you, I can't go home and watch that because it gets my mind going, right? And then I can't go to sleep. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll um, 
cook some food, have a glass of wine, take a shower, and then to like relax, I'll watch something that I've watched like a hundred times before. Yeah. Like Star Trek The Next Generation. I watch a lot of Star <laughs> Trek The Next Generation. Really? Oh yeah. Because it, or like the X Files or the office because it's entertaining enough where it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, but it's not so engrossing where I have to continue watching it. Like I did that with breaking bad. Like I used to go home and watch breaking bad after I got off work and that's an amazing show. And what would happen was I would get home at one and then one of my kids would walk out of their bedroom at like 5 a.m. Yep. and be like, Daddy, what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, my God, it's 5 a.m. Like, I, I'm i basically not going to go to sleep because it's too engrossing. That's that's the one show that kept me up late at night. Yeah. I would I, I go to bed very early. Like I, like you, my ideal bedtime is 10 o'clock. Yeah. But <laughs> when I was watching Breaking Bad, I was staying up until like 2 in the morning yeah, on normal nights because I was just like, I couldn't stop watching it and I couldn't stop. It's like, doing and it. I'm sure this has been said a thousand times, but I don't exist in the real world. I exist in my own little solitary world, but it was like being on drugs yeah. watching the show. Yeah. Right. You were like, your heart was in your throat and it's a show about <laughs> being on speed and you feel like you're on speed just watching it. So it's like, yeah, good job guys. I'm sure I'm the first person to say that. It's it, but it was a, yeah, that kind of stuff. So I watch things that are like, they are a little bit engrossing but then they're boring enough where at a certain point of sitting there on my mind will just go boom. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm starting to nod off. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Um, Cause otherwise you end up working all day and all night and then you get home and you can't sleep. Right. You'll yeah. sit there and be like, you got to kind of shut it off. It doesn't surprise me that you don't watch food shows because I've had other guests on here who are in this food industry who mm-hmm. are, who have said the exact same thing. And at first it didn't make sense to me. Now it makes total sense to me. I don't really listen to that many other podcasts these days. Right. Because if I do, then I start thinking like, man, their production on this is really awesome. Right. Or, wow, that's such an in-depth topic. Why am I not doing it? And then I start just like critiquing myself and I feel worse about myself. And then all of a sudden I, I feel like I've, I've been working. Yeah. I feel like it's like a brainstorm session as opposed to a relaxation. The, uh, what is it? Comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Right. You just... I, it's hard to compare yourself with other people's stuff yeah, because their stuff is different than your stuff mm-hmm. and you just got to do your stuff mm-hmm. and feel fine about it. And it's human nature to try and compare yourself. Oh, I'm doing this or I'm at my point in this group in my career. Their food is better. Their restaurant is nicer. Their podcast is cooler. But in the reality, you just got to be comfortable with what you're doing mm-hmm. and do it as best you can. So you can ask for it for you to do the best job you can and for other people to do the best job that they can. So it's, I, I try <laughs> to keep that in mind a lot. Um, it's actually something I've been, that exact phrase is something that I've been keeping top of mind over the last couple months. And it's because a restaurant, I guess, I don't know if you call it a restaurant, Soup Peddler, which is like smoothies and soups and things sure. like that. They put it on their sign outside and I was driving by one day and I was like, huh. And then the more I thought about it as I kept on driving down South Amar, I was like, the soup guys are deep. I know. I was like, yeah, I got, I was like, I was like, huh, I need to implement that more. I think I'm spending a lot more time thinking about other people as opposed to myself. Yeah. And it, it's become more important to me. Right. Um, I have two more questions and they're, they're similar. How do you take your coffee? Black. Hot, cold. Does it matter? So I, somebody, I have a coffee in front of me for those of you listening. 
Um, and this is an iced coffee. I don't usually drink iced coffee until August in Texas. Mm-hmm. I drink black hot coffee through 100 and whatever degree weather because that's how I like my coffee until it gets to be, you know, August is in Texas is like, okay, it's for real hot. It's been for real hot for a couple of months now. And maybe I'm starting to, it's starting to wear on me a little bit. Then I'll switch to iced coffee. Um, but yeah, hot black coffee the rest of most of the time. I know that here people drink cold iced coffee like year round because they're like, oh, it's so hot. But I don't know. Coffee isn't really caught. Like this is interesting. It's like tea, right? It's yeah. iced coffee. Um, coffee isn't really coffee unless it's hot and I can barely drink it. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, and I drink a lot of it. So um, it just goes down better that way. <laughs> See, I can, yeah, I suck down a nice coffee like immediately. Yeah. But hot coffee is what stops me because I can't, I can't That's do hot liquid. That's a good liquid. plan too, right? Yeah. Because then in, uh, in hot and cold coffee, I'm not sure I'm probably saying this wrong, but I'm, my, my knowledge of it is that it has more caffeine because of the slow steeping toddy process. Mm-hmm. And so you'll suck down like three iced coffees and then, yeah, you're just like, a rocket to the moon You're gone. all of a sudden. So yeah, it does make it where it's like, I got to slow down. I can only, whenever I worked in New York, I used to do this thing. There were these things like court containers. So it's just a plastic court container. And I used to make coffee. I was the first person to get the restaurant. So I'd make a big, you know, one of those pumper pots full of coffee and I would fill up a court. I would fill up two quart containers of coffee after it had brewed and set it on my station. And it would, it's not insulated, so it would cool down really fast, but that was the point. I would get it to room temperature so I could just chug yep. it because I had to like work at such a high level and perform perform so so much at that particular job that I had to get completely fully caffeinated immediately. Yeah. So Oh, trust me, I I get it. <laughs> uh final one. How do you take your eggs? Oh man, that's a tough one. How do you take your eggs? I make a lot of scrambled eggs right now. I I am honestly I'm not a scrambled egg person. I am a I'm not either. I'm a fried egg or I really love making omelets. Um, but like in a very methodical, like traditional French folded omelet style. I yes. like those a lot. I didn't know how to do that until my fiance started doing it one day and I was mm-hmm. like, What are you what are you doing over there right now? And she yeah. told me and that's I've been doing that a lot more lately. Yeah. It's been a very quick lunch. The, the omelet is the, the thing that I don't do this currently. I'm actually thinking about putting it on at, at Vixen's, but I've always thought that a restaurant should have an omelet on their menu, like for all day, mm-hmm. right? Like you can have it for lunch, like it's just a savory omelet. It's a yeah. wonderful lunch. It's a good dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that actually at the Four Seasons. I put an omelet on, which didn't last, but uh, unfortunately, but I... I will eat an omelet with a salad as lunch. I think it's wonderful as dinner. It's like popcorn for dinner or something like that. Um, but yeah, the the that French style rolled omelet should be adopted by everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one thing I can tell you that I don't like about egg cookery is like the American omelet, where or whatever it's like the kind of crushed frittata yeah. thing that we have adopted as an omelet in this country. Mm-hmm. There are a few things that piss me off more than one of those <laughs> things. It's like this is this is neither. This is a bad interpretation of egg cookery in every possible way. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just disrespectful of a, something that's really great that could be super, super great. Yeah. Like, and you're really fucking it up. Yeah. So that style rolled omelet, uh, I love. And I just a good fried egg. Like my kids right now are on this bacon and eggs kick. So every morning we get up and it's like, hey, what do you want for breakfast? And every morning it's bacon and eggs, which I didn't grow up that way. Like yeah. I know a lot of people grew up with like, you got to have a breakfast. It's got to be, you know, it's not breakfast unless it's bacon and eggs and the full thing. We didn't grow up that way. It was like breakfast was cereal. That's it, what I, that's exactly what that I grew up it. with. Um, the only time we did something different was on the weekend. Maybe on right. Sunday we'd have French toast. Other oh, than that, cereal. It was cereal. Honey nut Cheerios. And so my kids have it real good. They get like pretty much short order cook for breakfast mm -hmm. every morning. Cause that's also like the only time that I really see them on the yeah. regular is in the morning. So, um, so I'm, you got to keep their interest with the eggs and bacon. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. It's also the, I have one son that'll eat everything. He'll yeah. eat bricks if you put it in front of him. And the other one doesn't really eat a, a ton. Mm -hmm. So I always ask the one that doesn't eat a ton what he wants for breakfast. And then yeah. I'll just make that. for the other Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever kid, just eat it. Um, because I want him to eat something for breakfast because I don't know that he's going to eat his lunch or his dinner. So I always kind of cater to him and he's just like skinny as a rail, but he's bacon and eggs every morning <laughs> and a lot of them. So, but he runs a lot too. So kids operate like that. Yeah. Well, Todd, it's been very enjoyable. I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come here. Uh, I cannot wait to go to all your restaurants in Austin. I, I have a very limited knowledge and I need to get better about this. So yeah. I'm excited to go try all of them, especially Vixen's Wedding. Um, yeah. Can't wait to see you. Thank you. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter at Sunday Scaries and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at Will DeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.